0: Hello and welcome to the Global Insight with me, Claudine Fry, partner at Control Risks based in London. And for this edition of the podcast, I'm joined by another member of our Global Issues team based here in London with me. It's Serena Pilkington.
1: Hello. Thank you very much for
0: having me. Welcome, Serena. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. We're going to talk demographics today, Serena. Um, What do demographics tell us about the future of risk and opportunity? The reason I'm interested in demographics is because they they do drive risk. They drive instability. They're a factor in elections. We've just been reporting on that recently with respect to Nigeria, for example. They're a factor determining economic prospects, and they are a factor influencing the way political actors behave. Serena, I know you've been covering demographic issues um, and adjacent issues for clients a lot recently, skills and talent, unrest, a number of different angles to this one. But tell me about a few of the things that you've been tracking and analysing and, and and why, Why? Do, what, what are the angles that matter to, to business?
1: Okay. Well, as you said, it's definitely a global issue by far. The main trend, as you mentioned, is the decline that's happening right now. We're currently in the mature stages of a demographic transition what that means is there's a decline in mortality and then eventually a lag and decline in fertility rates. So this is almost universal apart from sub-Saharan Africa, which is delayed in this lag in fertility, fertility decline. So this means that there will likely be a youth bulge in this region in the coming decades, few years. This means that there will likely be an increased risk in certain issues, as you mentioned, instability, Unrest and in some areas also political violence and terrorism. The main driver of this, of course, would be the unemployment rates that we have seen in other areas. Um, We can all remember the Arab Spring about 10, 20, 10, 20, 10, 15 years ago. Um, A main indicator that was found after the analysis of the unrest was, of course, unemployment rates being extensively high and particularly in youth men under 30 years old seem to have been a main driver for this political unrest. So it's definitely something to look at if a business is operating in sub-Saharan Africa, in countries with a very high level of youth populations in around the Sahel. um, It's certainly a driver that would be most critical. Another issue I think regarding unemployment is that even in countries that would say have a large informal employment rate. this may also lead to discontent among the youth too, because while technically employment rates may be higher than in chronically unemployed populations, it would still drive a certain level of discontent with the government and businesses around those regions. This is probably the most popular or most likely in the Middle East, um, North Africa, where informal employment would be particularly high.
0: Yeah, I was reading up our coverage of the Nigeria elections recently and, um, you know, a great example of a country where there is a very uh, significant proportion of the population that is young, under 25, um, and that was linked, you know, disaffection among that part of the population was linked to comparatively low voter turnout and a comparatively... um, Low level of support for the uh, the winner of that election, who is going to need to tread very carefully now in terms of how he approaches policy in order not to uh, further alienate and frustrate the the, the, the huge youth population uh, in Nigeria. And there will be other elections coming up that we'll be following very closely, um, where the youth vote will be significant, mm-hmm. whether it turns out or not. Indeed, and but actually, Africa is one of the places. But if we're thinking really, really far out, right to the end of the century, even in Africa, I think a fifth of the population is anticipated to be over sixty. Mm-hmm. Um, so every 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 country is heading in in the in the direction of having a population which is weighted towards older people when we consider the the, the extreme long future. Um, but nearer term, of course, there are many countries that are not so much tackling a youth bulge as the very opposite problem, aren't there? So um, we have, for example, Japan, Italy, South Korea, where there are um, very low birth rates and really profound uh, challenges facing governments and societies, finding people to fill vacancies and um, finding ways of funding the sorts of services that older older members of the population need. Serena, I also wanted to Talk about migration. Um, that's one of the issues which I think is hard to factor into projections of population numbers in the future because we just know so little at this stage about well, maybe we don't. You tell me, Serena. Do we do we <laughs> do we have much of a sense of how migration is going to influence population numbers in different parts of the world?
1: Um, I don't think we have specific forecasts for how migration will impact us. Certain populations. There has absolutely been a massive increase in migration in the most recent years. Um, just in 2022, for the first time, forced migration rose to 100 million people. That was a major milestone to be hit.
0: And I think for the first time ever, there were more migrants driven away from their homes by climate change yes. as opposed to conflict is that yes, right yes
1: absolutely the un found that actually 70% of those forced um forced migrants were due to people be be- they were located in climate vulnerable countries so already it's been a major driver and as we all know at this point after the ipcc reports it's likely to be even more exacerbated in the coming years which would be a massive impact But the problem with climate change, as we all know, is that it can be natural hazards that come out of nowhere. Um, It can be more gradual uh, declines and maybe desertification in hot temperatures, but may reach a critical breaking point that suddenly there's an outflow of migrants from certain areas. Um, I think what's interesting though, from my research, that looking back at the migration in most recent years, migrants are most... Um, likely as unlikely to stay within their region. Mm. So for instance, when you look at Europe, almost 70% of the migrants that were recorded in a recent survey were actually from another European country. So it does show that there will probably be a continuous flow of immigration from Eastern countries in Europe to Western countries. Same interestingly for Africa, while proportion of people staying within the country was still lower than 70%, about 50%. It still shows that people are more likely to stay in surrounding areas, surrounding regions than um, trying to travel far, far away is what first comes to your mind when you think of mass migration. You think of developing to developed, but it's not the case in all the instances for sure.
0: That's fascinating, Serena. And it, it, I think that question of skills and where to where you're going to be able to find them is an absolutely critical one um, that many of our clients are thinking through very carefully at the moment. It's, it's often when you get to the heart of what is keeping someone awake at night, you know that sort of age old question. It actually is often linked back to issues around just simply having the people that you need where you need them, and that mm-hmm. is uh, clearly a challenge in countries which are. Uh, facing demographic issues as a consequence of a low birth rate or as a consequence of um, emigration away from the country. I mean, uh, our analysts have been reporting in the last couple of weeks about how labour shortages are influencing the operational environment and the political environment in a number of different countries around the world. And they actually include Albania (laughs) Um, a country often associated in headlines in the UK with uh, as being a source of people um, coming to wealthier countries to find unemployment. But Albania actually has a huge shortage of workers. Um, People leave because working conditions are poor, wages are comparatively low, um, and their jobs are often filled by migrants from South Asia, from other parts of Asia, but those migrants are often in transit. So they don't necessarily want to stay in Albania. They want to continue on further west. So this quest, this, this challenge of having enough people to do the jobs you need them to do, I think is one that um, it's really important to bear in mind. It applies in in, in, in developed and developing countries and it, apply, it applies in a whole different range of environments around the world. Guyana. Going through a, a, a transformation as a consequence of the discovery of offshore oil a few years ago, the UN has uh, forecast that they need to find 100,000 people. The population of Guyana is only 800,000. They need to find 100,000 um, to fill skilled jobs that the oil industry will need. And a third of the population of Guyana um, is actually overseas already, and probably doesn't want to come home. So there are unexpected places where where you find demographic challenges, aren't there, Serena? And Serena, we're seeing Visas, labor rights, and the movement of labor starting to feature increasingly in conversations between states and in diplomatic initiatives and free trade talks. We're seeing governments having to come up with ways of attracting immigrants, um, uh, and and that's of course a very a very politically sensitive area. Sometimes, um, tell us a bit about what you're seeing with respect to how government policy is evolving to address demographic challenges.
1: So the main trend that we're seeing across the world is easing immigration policies. Um, either this is through facilitating a more um, a greater number of visas for certain workers, whether implementing points-based systems, or even in the case of Germany, Germany released in March an outline draft for its immigration reform, which had some really critical um, changes to their very rigid procedure, I would say. Um, this includes an easing roadmap to citizenship, which also includes critically the allowance of dual citizenship. Now, this is an important fact, I think, particularly for Germany, as it's a cra- it's a very big uh, industrial base. Obviously, there's a large number of immigrants, um, but the dual citizenship uh, restriction, I think, limited a lot of workers to go into this area or stay permanently perhaps increasing a transitory risk um, to the labour force. So the dual dual citizen restriction particularly was regarding uh, external EU workers. So this is important when you consider that India, for instance, has the largest number of um, international migrants in the world. So perhaps this will increase the migrant trends from outside of the EU. Um, And also it has announced that it's Going to try and implement a points-based system similar to that of Canada, Australia, and the UK somewhat as well. Um, this goes back to your point regarding the skills requirements for companies. It's very the German government is very aware that it has an aging population, and this will hit labor shortages, which are already seen after COVID-19. Um, So, this points-based system is geared towards attracting high-skilled workers in critical industries. Um, One that we've been watching a lot um, on the Global Issues team, of course, is the tech tech skills that will be required regarding um, not just the tech industry itself, but Throughout different sectors, you need to know how to operate in a highly digitalized world, and this is something that companies will increasingly face in the coming years. As digitization across all sectors will be a likely will be a requirement in the coming years um, to operate um, on a normal level. But also, when you look at uh, ESG requirements, you need to look at the way data is gathered, what is needed, which all comes back to
0: tech-based solutions and tech-based uh, tech-skilled workers. And That's one area where I think India will be leveraging what it can offer the world in terms of skills and talent. One in five people under the age of 25 is from India, I believe, and it is the only country that is forecast to have a surplus of skilled manufacturing labour by the 2030s. But of course, India will need to have its domestic workforce, um, active, operational, and developing the kinds of skills that it needs to develop at home as well. Awareness of political, country, and economic risks underpin your organization's ability to protect value and mitigate shocks. Whether you need consulting on a particular project or longer-term strategic, analytical, and forecasting resources, we can respond to your requirements face-to-face or through our online platform-based solutions. For more information, follow the link in the podcast notes. This is all pretty sensitive stuff, actually, isn't it, Serena? Uh, Policy on migration, immigrants uh, is is politically explosive in lots of environments. and, 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 And indeed, data about a population itself, about demographics is sensitive. In both India and Nigeria, there are national census Exercises which are overdue now by a number of years and postponed for a variety of different reasons, and lots of speculation around why that might be. Given that we are anticipating demographic challenges to be growing uh, in particularly developed economies, uh, and particularly that we're particularly given that we're anticipating migration influenced by climate change in particular to intensify considerably in the coming decades. How, what impact might that have politically, Serena?
1: So it will likely stoke anti-immigration sentiment, of course, which is a stalwart factor for right-wing political parties, particularly um, extreme right-wing political parties, far-right far, far right political parties, um, usually use immigration to stoke up uh, support with their base, even in the case when this maybe is not... Uh, even in the case when immigration is not actually that impactful on the local populations, if it has a catchy tagline or a very succinct, simple message, it can often um, drive support for these parties. Um, we saw a rise of this, of course, after the refugee crisis led to several million popu- uh, several million refugees entering Europe. Um, which had a sweeping impact on right-wing sentiment increasing in the region and also to a lesser extent, I suppose, in the US and Canada when they saw what was happening in Europe itself. Interestingly though, we have not seen a reciprocal rise after the influx of Ukrainian refugees, which is interesting. Um, However, that's not saying in the longer term when migration increases due to uh, skills shortages, will that stoke Will that stoke resentment in the so-called native populations if they see that certain workforce is are predominantly immigrant fueled? Um, in the as I was mentioned in the case regarding climate change, will these people be seen to divert necessary funding from maybe national infrastructure to support the livelihoods of these people, whether it be in temporary residency or uh, facilitating development in the regions where, from where they come from through external aid. It is something that we are anticipating to be most focused in Eastern and Central Europe, um, including Belarus, Poland and Czechia. Western Europe, of course, as well, the US and South Africa, which has long had a history of anti-immigration sentiment, particularly regarding the surrounding countries moving in. Um, An interesting fact as well, however, that we've seen um, through our previous reporting when looking at the immigration changes and the impact this has had in anti-immigration sentiment is that according to serious data, um we have recorded that there were 337 instances of unrest carried out by or targeted against immigrants and refugees so far or towards the end of 2022 this is compared to 149 in 2019 so there's been more than a double of instances against migrants even though looking at the news it's still a very much a solidarity for migration whether this is because of Ukraine's um geographical closeness to Europe, or maybe perhaps this is there's other issues dominating news headlines where when you look at the local level, perhaps migration is more visible perhaps for people. Um, certainly in the UK, the uh quote unquote small boats issue that's currently being fueled right now, um, maybe an example of maybe. Local dynamics driving migration targeted unrest compared to what we see in larger, uh, larger participated gatherings.
0: Uh, Yeah. it, it, It has been interesting that the, um, arrival of, I think it's about 8 million people out of Ukraine into the rest of Europe has, um, largely been widely supported mm-hmm. uh, i do wonder whether at some point that that mood might change and uh, as you say and, uh, and indeed perhaps as a consequence of the economic situation becoming if it becomes more more challenging over the next few years so let's come back to the exam question for our podcast what do demographics tell us about risk and opportunity it seems to me that if anyone's carrying out scenario forecasting and thinking about the future of a risk environment or what the nature of an opportunity is in a particular market. You have to factor demographics into that.
1: Absolutely. It drives all long-term planning for businesses. It will impact your skills access to your population, to your, to your workforce. Um, it will drive your operationality in where you are based, where you're working. It impacts even healthcare access and infrastructure in certain locations. So it really is a very critical component to long-term strategy planning um, that is relevant no matter where you're working, not just in high-risk areas. It's a definite factor in uh, the global north, the global south, anywhere. And I think it's one of
0: those ones as well where you have to, it's one of those issues where the unknowns. Knowing your unknowns <laughs> is is important. Bearing in mind the political sensitivity of this data, of, of population data, and actually understanding where there is a concern about transparency or lack of information or lack of up-to-date information about population data, simply understanding that and why, you know, what are the issues that make it politically sensitive because of how it's going to influence funding decisions or election boundaries or... Um, you know the, na- the the direction a country is going in overall and 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 it's and its economic vitality understanding that in itself is a useful part of understanding the nature of the environment where you're doing business
1: absolutely as we've seen in the most recent news um regarding india and china Um, we did see the political sensitivity regarding certain narratives. It maybe was not indicative in and of of itself, but it did show the rising tensions perhaps um, for overall narratives for China not wanting to be framed as a declining
0: state, even though it's just numbers based. Serena, I'm going to ask you one final question. and I'm going to ask you to imagine that you are the future Serena sitting here in 2053. Talking to the future, Claudine, what do you think are the demographic issues that they will be thinking about?
1: When thinking long term, the first things that come to my head is the role of how labour structures will change. And when I think of that, I think of flexible labour working conditions and childcare support. Now, this is predominantly a gender equality issue, which we hope will be um, a lot more advanced in 2053, let's say. However, it will still be a predominant issue, of course, because even if there is a significant advancement in flexible working hours and childcare support, both from the state and the company, it will still be a critical factor for businesses to think of, um, when they look at who they hire, when they hire, why they hire them, um, not to not to discriminate against certain people, but more to make sure that they have a uniform policy across all areas um, as it will foster and facilitate skilled workers not leaving the workforce or having a higher productivity due to flexible working hours, which is after COVID-19 already on the rise, um, as we can see. So I think that will be a critical issue still at that point in time. Perhaps jobs mm. will, maybe job requirements or jobs, uh, maybe business structures will be uh, evolved from what they are now to facilitate a majority flexible working hours rather than um, more of a minority at the moment. Um, another thing that comes to mind, I think it will be a critical issue, as we've mentioned before, is governments and uh, will be needing to uh, support an older population. First thing that comes to mind, of course, is healthcare. This will be a big issue, I think, in the next thirty years when the majority, the population bump, significantly, is over sixty. And what this means is, chronic health issues will be a major factor. Will the governments have to significantly alter policies? I know the EU right now are reforming their pharmaceutical. Um, Policies to lower pharmaceutical costs. Um, but I think companies may also be faced with some issues, whether this is regarding medical insurance, perhaps.
0: Great, great, great point, Serena. I, I completely agree with you. I think they will be hot topics in 2053. Just building on your last point, I think, yes, that whole issue, all the issues around having a multi generational workforce and how you skill up. Across generations, particularly on the technology side, the digital side of things, how do you make sure your whole workforce, everyone reaching and maintaining the basics that are essential to being operationally useful from a technology and digital perspective in 2053? I think that'll be a huge challenge. These things are all going to be huge investments, big costs for companies to absorb, aren't they?
1: Yes. Huge costs. There's going to be significant changes in the way budgets will be formalised, I think. Um, Yeah. Health, technology, you know, who to hire where, even maybe they might be needing more,
0: um, human resources might need to have a bigger budget to
1: facilitate (laughs) migration. You never know.
0: That's true. Um, Another issue that will be hot in 2053 is how we're all coping with climate change-driven migration. that That is projected right. to be, it's already clearly uh, picking up very rapidly and a significant driver of migration now. But by 2053, it will be many, many, many times more significant. And as you mentioned, Serena, most migration is actually intra-region. So the consequences of that migration are going to be felt most acutely probably in parts of the world which are already comparatively fragile and comparatively unstable. Thank you, Serena. Do join me again sometime on the Global Insight podcast. It's been lovely having you. Thank you. It's been lovely being here. If you liked what you heard on this episode of the Global Insight, make sure to subscribe. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts as well, like Decrypt, Featuring our experts from across the world, making sense of the cyber and technology issues impacting business. As always, thanks for listening.